Welcome to Author Imprint, the podcast, where we take a deep dive into the murky waters of the writing process. I'm your host, Maddie Orton. This podcast asks how writers sit down and actually do the work, how they're inspired, and how they bring that inspiration to the page. I'm here with Katherine Neville, whose best-selling adventure novels span genres. They've made international bestseller lists and have been translated into more than 40 languages. Thanks for sticking around to talk more, Catherine. I appreciate it. And if you haven't seen Catherine on the video, tune in and check her out there. But here we're going to talk more about literature and your process as an author. So uh, let's start out a little bit with sort of how you would define your genre and writing style. You talk a little bit about swashbuckling, um, which I think is so cool. Yeah, well, uh, when I was really young, I loved to read books by like pirate adventure novels like Raphael Sabatini, Alexander Dumas. And I, I really was like, I, I love to climb trees. I love to uh, be sort of pretend, you know, up into the cherry tree, who should climb but little me. And <laughs> I had this uh, ambition to travel all over the world and go have the kinds of adventures that were in these kinds of books. However, there weren't any books being written by living people at that time. Hmm. All the books being written at that time were very literary, like Virginia Woolf, a woman, you know, living in a room by herself, or um, <laughs> John Updike, people in the suburbs. And so I found that pretty boring, and I really wanted to find some more books of the kind I like. There were no Harry Potters, but I sort of <laughs> would have been like a Harry Potter kind kind of person, you know, living under the steps and getting kidnapped and taking off. And when I realized that there weren't any books being written uh, like that, and, you know, my aspiration was always to tell stories hmm. and write books. But And most of my fellow authors, especially mystery, thriller, adventure writers, felt the same way when they were young. Sure. So I decided to make up my own stories. And it took a really long time, but luckily for me, I had to find a job to support myself. <laughs> and the job that I found was in a brand new industry called data processing at that time. <laughs> and that uh, job took me literally all over the world. I ended mm. up living and working in 26 states of the US and in seven countries, I believe, on wow. three continents. And the one that really got me was when I went to do a job for this little known group of, of um, petroleum, like a petroleum club that who met maybe once a month and they were called OPEC. <laughs> <laughs> little known petroleum so, club. So I was invited to go over to uh, Algeria. Hmm. To, my office was in Paris and I was invited to go to Algeria and put in a computer system for the Algerian, the entire country of Algeria. And it was about 10 years after the Algerian revolution against the French and about nine months after I got to North Africa, uh, they had something called the OPEC petroleum embargo, and they shut off the world's supply of oil. Well, up until that point, every I had grown up during the Cold War, where East is East and West is West, and never the twain shall meet, and mm. it was the Russian Empire and the you know Western Empire. And uh, all of a sudden, there was this weird uh, play from left field, from what the, we used to call the third world. They called themselves the unaligned nations. All of a sudden, here was a third power that hmm. had stepped in and just cut off the world's supply of energy. So I thought of it very much like 
a play from the left side of the board in a chess game that you weren't expecting. Huh. And the minute I thought of that, and as I said, I was there in Algeria during the 10th anniversary of the Algerian Revolution, so people were thinking about the French Revolution at the time and right. the similarities. And I thought, you know, the French Revolution changed everything. And I saw this um, embargo, and I still do today, as being very much the little tilting point that changed things. So I started thinking right then, which was 1973, <laughs> about a book that would span the centuries between the French Revolution and the sort of OPEC Revolution. Wow. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, if I write this book, no publisher will ever publish it. First of all, there were no adventure novels being published oh. at all. They were considered, you know, like it was before even Stephen King had revolutionized ho horror books. Hmm. There were books, the literary books were on one side of the bookstore. The other books called fiction were on another side. Mysteries were toward the back. Um, horror was at the very back wire <laughs> rack of a bookstore. And, and romance was in the supermarkets and filling stations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I was sort of incorporating all of those different elements in my books. Uh, and I, I didn't think a publisher would look at it. I thought they would look at this plot that takes place over 200 years with 32 historic characters, 32 modern characters, and all of them are pieces in a giant chess game that's taking place all over the world for 200 years. And they'd look at it and say, what is this supposed to be, an intergalactic map of, <laughs> of relations <laughs> in the universe? Uh, I just didn't think they would do it. So I wrote a different book. I wrote a book called The Calculated Risk, where the heroine knocks over all the stock exchanges in every bank in America uh, to prove her point that there's inadequate security. <laughs> so um, I wrote that book and that was sort of a trial run for me but then um, the publisher that bought it really wanted to see my next book so I showed him the first half of the eight. Three weeks went by and they said um, we don't, this is a famous line in publishing now, Miss Neville, we don't really know what kind of person would ever read a book like this. Mm. <laughs> what is it supposed to be? A map of intergalactic relations <gasps> in the universe? Oh my or gosh. something like that. Yeah. So I said, well, let's take it to another publisher. It turns out that Ballantyne was the premier paperback house in the world, but they'd never published a hardback book. And the two, the uh, publisher and assistant publisher, said, we want to have our own line of hardback books. And uh, we want you to go out, they told the editor-in-chief, and find the weirdest, strangest book you could possibly <laughs> find that no one could compare to anything else. We don't want them to say, well, it's a mystery, but it's not as good as Agatha Christie. Or right. it's a thriller, but it's not as good right. as John Le Carre. So we want it to be not able to be compared to anything. Lo and behold, in walks Miss Neville's literary agent with exactly that book. <laughs> So uh, they asked me to finish it first, and I had this very, very, very tight deadline of six months to finish the book that had taken me since 1973 to write the first half of. <laughs> oh so God. I did it. I did it. I had a great editorial team, and, um, but I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted to tell the kind of story that I wanted to read and that no one was writing anymore. I studied the techniques of every author I admired to figure out how did they do that. Hmm. And so my entire writing style is predicated on reading tons of books, 
Tons of books. Well, and it's interesting, by the way, because you had mentioned that you are a speed reader, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, that's been a big help. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I can't even imagine. Um, I just actually moved out of uh, my old house that I had for a number of years and had to move all my books. <laughs> and between my late husband and me, we had 14,000 books. 14,000 yeah. books. Now, luckily, I'm on the board of the advisory board of the Smithsonian Libraries, as you know. And they took a number of my books. They were interested in, they don't have any fiction hmm. in the Smithsonian libraries, but they took, oh, they have the history of cookbooks. They had, you know, they took about sure. gardening books, all kinds of things like that. Um, and then uh, members of the board came. Every library that I know came and took books, but I still have more books. <laughs> so, uh, but the thing is, to be able to lay your hands on information, I tried to use researchers. I've tried Googling things or, you know, using search engines to find things. And somehow they always suck you in and say, uh, they say, um, do you want to order this book from Amazon or do you want, <laughs> do you want to order this book from Barnes and Noble? And I found that the, the way to do research is to find someone who's an expert in something mm -hmm. because experts love what they do. Sure. You don't even have to pay them. They will not stop talking about what they love. So I found experts in everything, and I would go to where they are. I want to ask you, we have we have a lightning round question that we ask everybody mm -hmm. towards the end of the podcast. So if you're up for it, these are our short stories questions, okay? Short story question? Yeah. Uh, so question one, what book made you a reader? What I would have to say, I would have to say uh, it was actually not a book. It was a piece of music. It was Peter and the Wolf. Oh, that's I a loved great it. one. I saw it at, as symphony. I was very teeny. And I realized that it told <sighs> a story about these animals. That's such fantastic storytelling. Yeah. And it's, narr it's narrated. And uh, I just thought it was so wonderful to, to hear a story that came alive just by words coming out of somebody's mouth. Sure, sure. Okay, two, how do you write best? How do I write best? You mean physically? However you mean, like, you know, cup of coffee. Yeah, I just write flat out. Once I have the information, I just sit. I actually preferred to write longhand or on typewriter. It's very hard for me to write on a computer because of the fact I'm a speed reader. Hmm. I can't read stuff on a screen. Hmm. I can, you know, I can read pages as fast as I can turn them, but it's really hard to read on a screen. So, yeah, I, it's hard for me to write on a computer. So usually, what I do is write longhand uh, first, and then put it on a computer. It's actually easier to edit that way too. <laughs> Three. What did you do when you found out you were being published for the first time? Oh my gosh. Uh, well. My agent, as I said, took my book into the place and only half of it was done. And they bought it with half of it done. Uh, and uh, I, was, I was flabbergasted, but I had no idea what would happen. It was my first book. Mm -hmm. It was also um, my first time as an author, and I had no idea what authors did. <laughs> I, I mean, other than write a book. I thought the publisher takes it from there and they do everything. And all of a sudden, I was being interviewed on the Today Show by Jane Pauley. I was <laughs> being interviewed by a full page with Publishers Weekly. And for me, it was getting thrown into the soup before I even knew what all the ingredients were. So fun. Oh, that's very fun. Uh, four, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Oh, yeah. 
And I always say this, especially to young aspiring authors, like I speak quite often in middle school or high school when they invite me, and I always say two things, get a job (laughs) and get a year rail pass. (laughs) Travel, you know, go to work, have some experiences, meet other people. uh, A lot of my fellow authors have gone around uh, the world to do research, but I've gone around the world working inside of these different industries, Mm. so I know how they work, and I also know how the people feel who do that kind of work. Uh, I think that, I think bringing the book alive, the, the thing that I'm happiest about is when I was first interviewed about the ape, people would say, you make all these characters seem so alive, like Napoleon, Napoleon's mother, Mm. uh, who was a fighter on horseback in Corsica, (laughs) Napoleon's grandmother, who was sort of an Italian mafiosa, and they'd say, and Catherine the Great, and they'd say, you make them all seem so real. And I would say, well, they were real. And they'd say, oh, yes, yes, of course. (laughs) So I want people to walk around inside my books and feel like they're actually living there. Very cool. And five, what are you reading right now? Oh, what I'm reading right now? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I'm reading right now. I think I'm reading just about everything that was ever written about <laughs> the connection in 1600 between music, because uh, opera was just being invented right around then, mm. and uh, music and uh, and uh, the actual painting, uh, painting of the of the paintings that are going on because they were all living in the same palazzos. Rubens was living with wherever composer and Caravaggio was living with a bunch of composers. So they were all having dinner together, these guys. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. And so your next book coming out for people who are looking. It's supposed to be done uh, sometime in 2018. (laughs) Does not have a title because the title for me is like a mantra and they end up changing the titles quite often. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it will be about painters. In okay. 1600. Keep an eye out for a 2018 book from Catherine Neville. TBD name. Sounds very cool. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Catherine. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, It's great. Next time on Author Imprint, the podcast. I'm a plot-driven author. I spend eight months writing an outline for the book before I write a single word. But the best plot in the world is useless if you don't have living, breathing characters. Jeffrey Deaver with his latest Lincoln Rhyme thriller, The Cutting Edge, released in March. Let us know which authors you'd like to hear from and what you're reading. Follow me on Twitter at Maddie Orton. That's at M-A-D-D-I-E-O-R-T-O-N for the latest. And join the conversation by using hashtag author imprint. Thanks for listening.